Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. I am joined here by my co-host, Nick Hill. My name is Daniel Foch. I am a real estate broker practicing in the greater Toronto area with hopes of representing clients across the great nation of Canada in the near future. Nick, you recently had a trip to one of Canada's favorite cities and favorite financial fixtures. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, I spent the last couple of days, I had a bunch of meetings with some realtors and some investors up in the capital, Ottawa, the capital of Canada. Beautiful city, all, all in all, it, it really is. I, I did get to walk past the Bank of Canada building, which is funny because you know you see it on every news article and every clip on TV these days and it was it was funny seeing it in, in, in real life. It's like seeing someone that you that you've seen only online or or you know only in pictures and going to see them for the first time. Not that I haven't seen it before, but you know, our relationship has changed since the last time we strolled around Ottawa and, and walked past the Bank of Canada building. Yeah, I don't even know necessarily if I the last time I was in Ottawa it's something I would have been attentive to, to be honest with you. Like it would have been we would have predated me my me either involvement in in giving a shit about a lot of these things. And I don't even know, like I think even if you're interested in economics, the Bank of Canada they kind of only just played this like theoretical role in economics classes in university or whatever and then now all of a sudden you're like oh shit like this is real these guys are actually Front doing center. stuff that that i learned about right yeah the stuff is happening and that's actually a, a pretty good segue into the topic that we are going to be discussing today and that is trigger rates i feel like we should have you know the producer put like a gunfire in the background or something like that as I say trigger rates but I don't know if we have the production yeah no, we don't have the budget uh, for budget that, for no, that no. unfortunately <laughs> our our interest rate increases have all all of our budget has been spent on uh, on capital cost increases so. we have also been in, hit by inflation here people the podcast has been hit so we've all seen the trigger rate stuff in the news there's a lot of fear induced by by the word trigger rate. You'll also hear stress test used in probably the same sentences. Neither of those make you feel good. Eh? Stress test, trigger rates, they sound threatening. Are they threatening, Dan? I would say, I, I mean, the stress test is supposed to be the opposite of threatening. And I think that interestingly enough, we're, we're kind of seeing the manifestation of what the stress test was designed for playing out right now, right in front of our eyes. But trigger rates per se, I mean, yeah, they, they ought to be probably a, a little bit stressful for the average person who is holding a static payment variable mortgage, especially if they got a sort of historically low rate sometime yes. last year. And and the reason for that is, you know, mathematically, there's a there's a decent likelihood that they'll be bumping up against that trigger rate sometime within the next six months. If the Bank of Canada's hiking cycle is to be believed um, if the forecasted hiking cycle ends up manifesting. Right. So before we go down that that road, I want to provide some quick definitions here for everyone listening. So 
The Google definition of a stress test is a test usually involving walking on a treadmill or riding a stationary bike while your heart rhythm, blood pressure, and breathing are monitored. Now, that is not the real state stress test. I kind of wish it was because it sounds a lot easier than than what, what the stress test actually is. The stress test for mortgages determines if you'll still be able to pay your mortgage should interest rates rise. As we all know, we are in a rising rate environment. And that is when you get close to your trigger rate. So most variable mortgages have what is called a static payment. This protects you, the borrower, from cash flow fluctuations when the prime rate changes. But the trigger rate can come into play and it's most likely to happen to variable rate mortgages arranged between the spring of 2020 and early March 2022. That was when the prime rate was only 2.45%. Since then, I'm just going to reference a document here with dates and the prime rate and the changes that we've seen in the last couple months of this year. So March, when we referenced at 2.45%. Later on in March, it went to 2.7%. Then in April, it went to 3.2%. June 2nd, we hit 3.7%. And just recently... In July, we hit 4.7 with another expected rate hike in September and probably more after that. So I think the trigger rate has always been around, Dan, but I think it's the speed as to which the Bank of Canada has started to raise these rates that you know now the trigger rate is, is front and center and, and people are going to be getting some phone calls. Yeah, so – I guess it's worth noting a couple of different things here. So, you know, the stress test by design is supposed to eliminate the systemic risk or the the need to worry about systemic risk of all of these different borrowers being at risk of not being able to renew their mortgages because they would be basically house poor or, you know, in these situations not being able to afford the new mortgage that they'd be pushed into as a result of this trigger rate or not being able to uh, afford the change in their variable rate, right? The problem is that the stress test doesn't necessarily account for a lot of things. It doesn't account for 50% year-over-year increase in fuel costs or 100% year-over-year increase in fuel costs. It doesn't account for cost of living increases. It doesn't account for the inflation that we're seeing, right? And so things can happen outside of just the financing equation that can cause financial stress that it it doesn't necessarily control for. And I think we might see that happening. In regards to the stress test, I think we should also get an understanding, sorry, the uh, the trigger rate. I think we should get an understanding for what would happen or what, what would cause that to happen. And basically, you would need to be hitting a point at which there isn't enough monthly mortgage payment. So when you go to get a mortgage, you qualify for a mortgage payment amount. Let's say it's $2,000 just as an example. And a portion of it is principal and a portion of it is interest. As your interest rate climbs on a static variable rate mortgage, the amount of interest that you pay, the portion, the total percentage of your monthly payment that is interest versus principal increases. So you're just watering down how much principal you're paying each month. If that amount increases too much, then there's not enough payment left to service all of the interest. And at that point, the bank will call you and say, hey, look, you've hit your trigger rate. This is going to cause you to have to change your mortgage so that we're not paying you 
to own the house every month, <laughs> essentially. And I know you're gonna you're gonna get into it a little bit better, but and, and so you know the, those mortgages. I think I had done the calculations where if you're at a one point five percent rate, you're paying like I don't know twenty percent of your monthly payment is interest. If you're at a and then that, if that goes to a three percent rate in the variable side, which has already happened, right? Anybody who was signing a one point five last year is at a three now. And now all of a sudden you're paying greater just over fifty percent of your monthly payment and your total capital cost has increased double over the course of the mortgage. And then if that increases again, let's say it doubles again, which is unlikely, but let's just say you get to a six percent or a five percent. Now all of a sudden you're gonna hit that point where you're paying too much interest. You're not actually amortizing any principal. So your amortization has basically gone to infinity. First, it goes from 25, which is when you sign the mortgage typically. 25, 30-year AM is what most people are going for. Then it, go, then it gets pushed out further to 50 years. I think I've heard of some people in the, in the high 50s. 50, I think I've heard wow. of a 59-year AM on a certain <laughs> rate, which would be an ex, the most extreme scenario probably available in the market. I've heard of some 53s, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, your AM just basically goes to the point where you're not paying any principal. And now all of a sudden the bank says, this isn't what mortgages are designed for. You need to be paying down the principal in your mortgage. Then they're going to basically, you're, you're getting triggered and <laughs> they're going to call you and they're going to say, or they're going to send you a letter. Some people are already getting these letters, these preemptive warnings. And they're going to say, look, we need to make some changes to your mortgage. Apparently it's only a temporary thing. Like you could go back if the rates go back, get go, go back down, if the variable goes back down, but that's my understanding of it. And obviously qualitative. I know you've got some some more in-depth quantitative stuff to inject here. Yeah, no, that was really good. I just want to provide some some kind of more concrete examples to to what you were saying so so people can really have a, a grasp on on what's happening. So so first and foremost, as of last June, the stress test required potential buyers to prove that they can keep up with their mortgage payments at either a minimum rate of five point two five percent of their individual mortgage rate plus 2%. So whichever one is higher. So this is essentially the bank running the numbers, underwriting the deal at a at a rate with, with a bit of insurance and a bit of a cushion, if you will, knowing that, you know, not that they knew the rates were going up, but this is this is their insurance. They're they're not going to lend to you if, you know, if there's a slight change and and you can't pay. So let's go over what these slight changes look like. Now, I'm going to be quoting our buddy Ron Butler here. Actually, not not a buddy of mine, but Dan, I know you've had some conversation with Ron. Ron is Yeah, I a, quite like Ron, actually. Ron's a great guy. He's, I've learned a ton from him in the mortgage space. He's been doing it forever. I think um, he's the highest volume mortgage broker in the country, actually. Yeah, so shout out to Ron. Thanks for everything you're doing out there. He's constantly quoted in social media and, and whatnot as well. So, so here he is. Ron Butler of Butler Mortgage notes at the point of static payment variable rate mortgages, the customer's monthly payment is not meant to vary when prime rate changes up or down. However, an amortizing mortgage payment has two parts, the interest portion, which changes with prime, and the principal portion, which is how the mortgage is paid down. This is what Dan was just talking about, right? There's two parts to every mortgage, principal and interest. Back in January of 2022, a typical, and we're going to use GTA here, sorry for everyone outside of the GTA, Back in January of 2022, a typical Greater Toronto Area mortgage of 585000 had a monthly mortgage payment of $2,005, a 
at a rate of, you know, he has here 1.5%. That's a damn good rate, but we saw a lot of them back then. This was sliced up into one payment of $1,298 towards the principal and $707 towards interest. So to break that down, that means you're actually paying off out of that $2,000, you're paying, just to use rough numbers here, you're paying $1,300 against that. So you're actually buying $1,300 more of your house every time. You're putting $1,300 more into the equity. $707 of that, so the other seven, the remaining portion, that's the bank's take, right? That's, that's how they make their money off of lending you that money. Today, that same $2,005 static payment is only contributing $201 to principal reduction. 201 so from 1300 to 200 you do the math there's a little bit of a difference there and if we have another increase of 50 basis points in september the interest portion will exceed the total payment of the $2005 and that is when you get triggered that is when your trigger rate kicks in i think if i'm running the numbers correctly on that like if the outstanding balance it is let me just see here mortgage of 585,000 if you divide 585,000 by that monthly payment of $201 of principal that's like 2900 2910 months that it would take to to amortize that mortgage so divide that again by 12 that's like a 242 year am so <laughs> i mean that that's a deal in which you know wow what you're describing there this this is somebody who would likely have already received the the letter uh from their lender saying hey we don't do 250 year ams so you're going to have to you're going to have to make some changes to your mortgage now the challenge here is that like the stress test doesn't necessarily account for scenarios like this either right there's a couple of different things that i want to discuss here cuz i see your notes below and and i think you're going to cover a lot of the things that that I want to talk qualitatively about a little bit. We can but, share them. Let's, we can. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, yeah, but so, so I think that in these scenarios, this person is going to end up going from basically a record low rate and a, and a payment that was established based on that record low rate to now a they're going to be basically forced into a payment that is likely going to be fifty percent higher than that. Right. They're gonna go if you're to qualify at a five hundred and eighty five thousand dollar mortgage in a current fixed rate, right? Even if it's just for one year to get them through this period outside of the trigger payment, they're probably looking at three grand, thirty five hundred bucks, right? I don't know. Like we can run the payment or I can when you're talking next, just to get an exact understanding for that. So that's that's a major component because that's not that's not a jump of two percent like the stress test implies, right? Mm -hmm. This is a major jump. And this is where you start seeing these these major financial stresses that are happening like people are saying oh you know canadian real estate can never really go down in a meaningful way unless we see financial stress in the market well like we are seeing financial stress in the market right yeah so i i think you you know you wanted to to talk a little bit about the risk aversion of canadians generally and and how i can elaborate especially on why we're seeing this phenomenon of more and more people jumping into these variable rates yeah, and I mean we've got some good numbers as to, you know, who's been choosing variable versus fixed recently, but just to go back to when the bank does call or or come knocking or or send you one of those letters, this is usually the options that you'll receive from from the bank. Customers are notified and they can choose three ways to proceed. The first being make a lump sum payment against the loan amount. 
The second being to convert with a new loan to a fixed interest rate term. And the third being increase their monthly payment amount to get their outstanding principal within their remaining original M period. So you're not really left with any kind of – there's no scapegoat there. You, you, you've got to essentially pony up the money in, in one way or the other, whether it's a lump sum, whether you move into a fixed at a higher rate and lock in there, which you know, even if it's at a year, you might still be paying a higher rate. But it's interesting to see the typical behavior of Canadians over the last little while. So Canadians are typically more risk adverse and prefer the certainty of fixed interest rates, mortgage payments. And that's why they up to recently accounted for 75% of all mortgage product in Canada. But we started to see changes in the last few years, obviously, with things being very cheap. And a static monthly payment at 2%, lower than a fixed rate alternative, led to many people flocking to those rates. So 35 to 45% of all mortgages that have been arranged in the past year, year and a half, have been variable interest rates. And this includes not just new mortgages, but refinances and renewals as well. Yeah, and I think CMHC has new mortgage originations at 50%, over 50% variable in the current market. And the reality is this is almost a function of the stress test being self-defeating, right? So I've had Ron, to go back to Ron's commentary on this, I've had Ron on a Twitter space, we discussed this at length. And, you know, and he feels that the stress test is going to do its job sufficiently in eliminating systemic risk, let's say, in the market. I'd agree to that. I would as well. I, I do think that it it will eliminate systemic risk, but it's not going to eliminate risk on the one-off cases because there are a lot of people who co-sign to qualify as an example, right? There's a lot of fraud for shelter out there in the market where people are, you know, we hear, we're hearing about a lot of these income documents being changed, people getting, you know, there's a lot of these back channels in the mortgage space happening, et cetera, et cetera. And most people in the, in the space who aren't, you know who who are are honest or or they have a selection bias because they they don't see these things and they would assume they don't exist. But as young people, we hear about it all the time, right? Tons of young people are are going through these things. I've lost clients over these discussions before, right? People I'm say, who I'm saying, no, that's mortgage fraud. What you're doing, and they're like, oh no, well, I have to to get a house, right? <laughs> but it's like these desperate measures, right? It's a, it's an important distinction from my perspective, and I was always attentive to the fraud because Michael Burry says, and it's the quote that they that the Big Short starts with, and we always reference this movie, which is so weird, but we really do. <laughs> he's, he, you know, he says that he was was very attentive to fraud because the degree of sophistication and the number of instances of fraud increase leading into a major housing downturn, right? And so mortgage fraud especially would allude to these things happening and seeing it happen in the Canadian market to me is a bit of a leading indicator on what could happen. And I felt that, you know, six months ago. Fast forward to present day, or even during that period of time, we were seeing a similar phenomena happen where people were using the variable rate to circumvent the stress test, right? So that they didn't have to qualify at that higher bound of the stress test. People were using variable rates to decrease their monthly payment and increase their buying power. And that's what we're seeing happening right now is across Canada, the areas in which most of the price declines are happening are in areas that had the faster run-ups, not just the biggest run-ups, not just the most expensive prices, but the fastest run-ups because the velocity of those run-ups determines the desperation and the the 
propensity for people to use a variable rate to circumvent that stress test, which increases the the credit sensitivity, let's call it, of those different areas, right? So any of those areas that are have high exposure to variable rates, they're going to be sensitive to swings in interest rates. Now we're seeing swings in interest rates and things start to unwind. So great, great commentary on that. And I just want to make sure that I'm understanding that everyone else is. So when you have like what you're saying by circumvent is if I've got a if I'm looking at two different rates, a fixed rate I'm considering and a variable rate, and this is months back, okay? The the variable rate is a 1.5 30-year and the and the fixed rate is, you know, a two and a half or three. Same, same five-year term, same 30-year AM, all that good stuff. I'm immediately going to be qualifying for a lot more because if I'm at a 1.5, they there's there's a lot more delta between where I need to be and where I'm getting stress tested versus if I, versus if I started off at a three. Is that what you're saying? The, yeah, it wasn't necessarily three, but as you started to see those rates, those fixed rates get into the, I guess it would have to be three point two five plus, right? So because as soon as the the fixed rate plus that two percent became higher than five point two five percent then people started going more and more to variable rates. And the other thing is people stress test themselves individually as well. Like a lot of people are going in and going to the cosign bank of mom and dad to get qualified for whatever mortgage they possibly can, right? But they're saying, I know personally that I can't afford that fixed rate. I can't afford the $3,000 a month payment. So I'm going to go and elect to get that $2,000 a month payment on a variable rate, right? So there's that there was that element happening as well. But on the stress so that was probably happening earlier, right? And you could see you could see variables start to ramp up as prices started to ramp up. One of the elements was the compellingness, the spread between the fixed and the variable was so made variable money so irresistibly cheap, right? <laughs> and if you look at that spread chart and I'll pull that up, but if you just Google I think it's just CMHC variable rate report. I'll get the exact... I think it's residential mortgage industry report from Q4 of last year. You can look at all of these charts that I'm referencing, but you could see the spreads getting bigger. And and so people were getting... It would be originally flocking into variables then. So that's where the popularity of variables started. Then as rates started to climb as on the fixed side, as bond yields started to anticipate, because bond yields were, were much earlier in anticipating what was happening in the rate environment by comparison to the Bank of Canada actual hikes on the variable side, as those fixed rates, which are based on the Government of Canada bond yields, you'll often hear Government of GOC plus two, as an example, would be a Government of Canada bond yield plus 2%, which is the risk premium. And I can explain this one a little bit. Actually, I might as well just do it now. The principle in economics, if you were to assume that the bank only has two risk, low risk products that they can possibly lend or they can possibly use to, to earn a yield, product number one is a Government of Canada bond, which is going to earn them, let's say, a 3% yield currently, give or take a bit, or they're going to lend it to my buddy Nick on Instagram. And But they say, you know, I, I think Nick's a little bit riskier than the Government oh, of Canada on. per se. So I'm going to apply a 2% risk premium on Nick. And, and so now all of a sudden, when they lend you that money, the yield that they're expecting from that money is 5% rather than, or it's GOC plus 2%. So if the GOC is at 2.5% as an example, then they're, they're maybe going to sell you that mortgage at 4.5%. So you started to see these rates get past that 3.25% mark on the fixed side. And then it exacerbated that trend of people going into variable rate mortgages because now there was actually quantifiable 
differences in the way that you pre-qualified for a fixed rate. So if you're qualifying for a fixed rate at 3.5%, now all of a sudden you're getting stress tested at 5.5% rather than 5.25%, which is what you'd be stress tested out on the variable. Fast forward to present day where you're looking at four four and a half percent, I think, on the negotiated side. You know, I mean posted rates are in the fives, but people are probably getting mortgages in the low to mid fours, right? Yeah, we're quoting we're quoting in the fours right now. Right. So you're getting four point five percent. Now you're you're getting stress tested at a six and a half. And on the variable side, you're still maybe just over that five point two five percent. Some some variable rates maybe even below, right? But we're but we're hitting them. We're we're right around that 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 threshold of there's probably going to be more people in trouble than than in quite a long time and and just on that note we I, let's just say someone very high up in the real estate profession and it, I'm only bringing this anecdote in because I think it speaks to kind of how it's it's a maybe a little bit of the blind leading the blind into into whatever economic situation we're going into here but I think you know the quote I'm going to I'm going to Yeah, you reference. Might, might as well name them. It's a real source. I mean, I I don't think you would have put it out there if if you didn't want it shared, yeah. right? Yeah, our buddy Chris Alexander, the the president of of Remax Canada, we actually had him on our our old podcast Brick and Mortar. Great guy and he he's always putting out good information and I believe his stat was Ninety-one percent of current realtors have never sold in a down market. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, I mean, that it? It, it's yeah. So I tweeted this out too, and it got it got a ton of engagement. So I bet it. And did. I quoted him, and people were like, "Chris said that." And I was like, "Yeah, I was surprised too." But I mean, this is their internal data, right? So there's really no way to necessarily verify exactly what methodology he was using either. And he also uses the word "and" very uniquely so uh, but I'll, I'll i'll dive into this so the quote is 91% of realtors today have not sold in a market with dom which is days on market over 45 days and interest rates over 4%. So the last time i actually ran I'd, i had to understand exactly what he meant here the last time that we had days on market over 45 days nationally and interest rates over 4% nationally or I guess that wouldn't be a national thing but the the combination of those two factors was like 2010 right so it is believable that 91% of all real estate practitioners today entered since 2010 if you were to compartmentalize those things into two separate things and assume that he meant or rather than and so they haven't traded in a market with days on market over 45 days and interest rates over 4%, he would be going back to like just 2017, 2016 kind of thing, depending on the market, right? But I think that it, I agree with you. It, it is a, it is a, it is an allusion to the fact that the Canadian real estate market has become this situation of the blind leading a blind. Cause I don't think that that would be, that statistic would be any different for the mortgage side. Probably not, but that's why. You should be listening to this podcast because not only are we're, we're eye doctors, we're real estate doctors. Man, this would be a great segue into those those that new sponsor we have yeah, with the eye yeah. drops. But uh, well, it's probably not going to work out that well. But I think the anecdote uh, and and the the moral of that story is that um, you know again now is a better time to be informed more than ever, and you're going to have to take on a lot of this research. Right, it's a better time to be informed. I mean, look, you're, just because your realtor hasn't been doing it for more than fourteen years does not mean that they don't know what they're talking about. There's several fresh realtors and, and mortgage agents that do an incredibly good job that are that have a lot of vigor because they they've only been doing it for so long and they're up against the people that have you know, long-standing books of business and, and get referrals and whatnot. So, you know, they're, they're fighting and the ones that are going to make it through this fight are the ones that are going to stay informed. So 
Anyways, we kind of lost track a little bit there. Let's get back we went on into track the weeds, here. but the weeds are important, honestly, for this conversation. So. They really are, and I couldn't help myself with that with that quote because I just found it so yeah, so yeah. interesting. So, took a little bit of a news excerpt from our friends over at Better Dwelling. We get a ton of our, our research and, and stuff from them, and, and we've we've worked with them in the past. Dan's worked with them extensively, so. This was just really interesting. The title of the article is Canadian Mortgages to Experience Less Payment Shock Than Other Countries. I mean, I guess, what is it? Misery loves company. Is that, is that, a, is that that's a fitting quote here? So Canada is world renowned for its mortgage debt, but it's not as vulnerable to rising rates as other countries. Well, some other countries, credit giant Fitch Ratings, who is similar to like a Moody's, I'm, I'm assuming, ran mortgage stress testing on various economies. Canada's variable rate mortgage borrowers are vulnerable to some shock, though nothing that can't be handled. Now, I think this goes back to what we were saying earlier, Dan, about luckily Canada has been a very fixed mortgage product biased country for a long time, which I think you know it protects us from that systematic risk we were mentioning. It may surprise some, but due to relatively small share of variable rate mortgages held in Canada, the country won't see as big of an impact as countries like Australia and the UK. Now, the funny thing is I think we've referenced these countries as having similar issues to we did when we talked about the Queen owning all the land in, in a few episodes ago about who owns the most land in, in Canada and the world. I think there's a there's a lot of comparisons that can be drawn there, obviously. Part of the Commonwealth. Yeah. Popular immigration destinations, which leads to high access demand. A lot of uh, archaic old white dudes running planning policy that, <laughs> that, that just don't, yep. you know, aren't really forward thinking in regards to fixing housing problems. So... Yeah, anyway, I mean, we can. I, I would love to do a, a big, big old episode on, on why the Commonwealth sucks at, at providing affordable housing, but yeah. we could do that some other day. How about this? Less old white dudes running stuff. It's just, it's, it's overplayed people. Like, let's try something else. So, anyways, the credit rating giant sees variable rate mortgage borrowers seeing a substantial surge in variable costs. We know this. Canada's variable borrowers have an average. DTI, that's debt to income ratio, and that can be found explained in our most recent episode, the one right before this, where we go over all the mortgage and real estate uh, investing terms you'll need to know. But their debt to income ratio of 30.74%, meaning that the average share of disposable income used to service debt is 30.74% in Canada. By the end of 2023, it's forecast to hit 41.3%. So we're going to see basically a full 10% jump. That's a massive jump, obviously. Canadians do tend to qualify with gross income. So unless their tax is less than 10 points, which is very unlikely, this is still within qualifying rates for many before they hit that stress test that we've been talking about. Now, despite Canadian households being highly indebted, they aren't as sensitive to variable rate shocks as countries like the Netherlands, Germany, the UK, that are much more sensitive. And they might even see a 15-point increase in some of those spaces. So in some of those places, sorry. So not great news for us, but I guess at least we're not the worst. <laughs> is that the way we is that the way we look at this one? Yeah, I think I mean look, I think it also needs to be Canada is very diverse on a on a geographic basis, right? Market to market. So I think it's worth obviously analyzing how different municipalities perform on this basis. So 
National Bank, NBC, who's a, a, lend, a good lender actually in the market, they they do some exceptionally good housing affordability stuff. They they release this thing on a quarterly basis, I believe, called the Housing Affordability Monitor. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Actually, I'm just going to copy and paste it into your note here, Nick. But it's you can just Google National Bank Housing Affordability Monitor. And there's a couple of different metrics that they use to check the pulse on different markets across the country. And I'm going to go through a couple of them because I think it really illustrates what you're saying. Because I would say like, yeah, sure, at a national level, I think it blends out because there are so many areas where you know, I mean, like you think about certain er- rural areas where tradespeople are making or guys working in the mines or whatever are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Operating heavy machinery and their house, their cost of a mortgage or a house is very low, right? So that would skew things down. But if you look at urban areas in Canada, which is where the majority of our population lives, you'll see that situation, there's really actually no areas that qualify. And I did a TikTok on this today, actually. So Wednesday, August 17th. But there's no major CMA in Canada qualifies for what the governments call affordable housing in quotation marks, which is less than 30% of average household income or less than 30% of income is used to service housing expenses. So I'm going to go through a couple of stats on this from Nationals Housing Affordability Monitor. So in Toronto... It takes 382 months, which is like 31 years, to save for a down payment at a savings rate of 10% uh, with the average income in Canada and the average house price and mortgage cost in Canada. What does it say here? Mortgage payment as a percentage of income, MPPI, for a non-condo in Toronto is 98.2%. So you would be spending almost 100% of your income to afford a house if you purchased it in today's market in Toronto. Wow. Montreal, for the same thing, for a detached home, 50% of income. And Montreal is like a relatively affordable market. So again, we're still way over that 30% metric. Vancouver, (laughs) 121.2%. Of your income, so wow. you literally have to you literally have to spend twenty percent more than you would earn on average as a va- resident of Vancouver to afford to own a detached house, based on the mortgage payment as a percent of income MPPI metric that they're using here. Four hundred seventy-two months of saving required to to get a down payment for a house in Vancouver on the average household income. Who's got there. the time? Who's got the time to do it? Getting a little bit closer to the actual affordability metrics here, Calgary, even Calgary. Okay is at 37.4% MPPI. Edmonton is the closest, I think, in this data set, which is 30.9% MPPI, oh, mortgage payment as a percentage just, of income. Yeah. Just. Um, Ottawa, 50.9% MPPI. It's actually better than I thought. Yeah, not bad. Oh, Quebec City is actually closer than than Calgary at 30.4% MPPI. Win- wow. Winnipeg actually surprised me. I thought it would be below, but 32.5%. And when they got, Winnipeg, they got anything in Saskatchewan on there? No, this is the thing. Saskatchewan and Atlantic Canada are left out of the data set, and it breaks wow. my heart, man. Yeah, like that I actually rude. have emailed National Bank, and I was like, "Tell me how you guys <laughs> run this, and I will calculate." Let it me for speak to the markets. manager. No, but I was like, "I will run this information for you in those markets. I need to know. I need to know now how Atlantic and I mean Saskatchewan. I think would hundred percent be, but so and that but those are the areas that give that that." tell me that the data is being skewed, right? Because you have in those areas, the 
the MPPI would be so low that it would skew the whole thing nationally down, right? Of course. Yeah. You can't have 10% in, in Saskatchewan and in a couple of provinces over 125% right. in Vancouver. Well, and you, do, and, you see, and you see a higher percentage of ownership in those areas, you know, mm-hmm. closer to 80 or 100% of those of people in rural, more rural areas or smaller cities own rather than in, in bustling urban areas, upwardly mobile young professionals, you know, these world-class cities, they're turning over like crazy. And a lot of people don't own because they're not there forever. I got one more Hamilton here in the Greater Golden Horseshoe, 71.1% and Victoria, BC at 102.5%. So yeah. Not uh, not numbers that you want to see as a, as a perspective homeowner current homeowner even or 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 investor so i guess that that leads us kind of into the final piece of this which which we love talking about is everything we've just spoken about stress tests trigger rates how the uk and and you know we're not the we're not the worst over here what does this mean for the canadian real estate investor is it is this the time that we kind of just say goodbye to cash flow for a little bit and you know i see you soon did we overshoot and, and now are we going to overshoot the correction? You know, do you, is, it, is this a time where you really analyze your holding power and, and really start to drill down and know your numbers and, and know what you're, you're capable of? What do you, what's your take on this, Dan? I think from my perspective, I mean, if you're on a static payment, you're, you're gonna, your AM is going to be messed up, right? Even if you don't end up hitting a trigger rate. So like, you know, if we're going to go back to the entire theme of the episode, you're going to you're going to run into some problems there either you're going to you're not going to when you go to renew you're you're not going to have amortized nearly as much principal you're not sorry you're not going to have paid nearly as much principal towards your mortgage as you had expected when you got when you signed up for that mortgage so you're going to get a little bit of a sticker shock when you go to renew how can we preemptively think about solving that problem right can we do a lump sum can we try and save more money can we try and increase the value of the asset can we try and increase the cash flow of the asset right how can we make this perform better how can we create tailwinds for ourselves against the headwinds that we're facing on the credit side, right? And those headwinds are, they're not, they're, they're the same for everybody, right? So there's three different scenarios that you need to think about as an investor. The static payment one, the, for those people who are in static payments, which statistically is about two thirds of all variable mortgages, by the way. So there's six A lenders, let's say, that do majority, like 90% of lending volume in the in the country. Four of them have static payment variable mortgages, two of them don't. I don't think we're allowed to mention them all by name, but you can find graphics on this on RateHub, etc. We might even be able to link to it. If you're if you're on a variable mortgage and with a variable payment, look, you're already feeling the pain, right? I had a I had a, a property. I've I've exited it and I'm just waiting for it to close. I sold it March ish, but the payment is still moving because <laughs> I'm still holding it and it's supposed to close. It's hopefully I just got extended, but it should close in September. But the payment now, it's like completely offside on the cash flow side of things, right? So if you're on a variable payment, you're already feeling the pain. You already know what's going on. You're already scrambling or your cash flow negative or something. You can really only hang on for dear life. If you haven't exited now, it's probably too late, to be honest with you. After transfer costs, you're probably not going to net out. There might be a bit more downside in the market, but I don't really know. I mean, we analyzed this in that whole episode. Should I sell at a loss? The answer was generally probably not. You should probably figure out a figure out a way to to fix the problem that you created for yourself. And then that leads me to scenario three and sort of how to fix that problem. And I know we're getting short on time here. So scenario three is you're in a fixed rate, okay? And you got a smoking good fixed rate in the past two years. And 
in three years, you need to renew that fixed mortgage. And I'm sorry, I don't know. I, I'm, I hate to be the guy to say this to you. Rates are never going back to as low as they were during COVID, ever. Like I'd be, unless we see something as massive happen as COVID, I would be very surprised if rates were ever that low again. So expecting to renew the the people who are in fixed mortgages, especially low fixed mortgages who are who are have these payments and they're never they're expecting them not to change. Those are the ones who actually have to worry the most. Uh, actually, the late great mortgage Jake Jacob Ramowitz from Twitter talked about this a lot. He had this hashtag for it called the low rate trap. People getting into into fixed rates today are going to get screwed when they have to go and renew those fixed rates in a normal rate environment in a couple of years. All of these things need to be thought about regularly so you can start solving those problems. And the people who are in the fixed situation, they're the only ones who haven't felt the the, the, the or realized the changes in rates yet. For If you're in one of those situations, you should be thinking about how you're going to cover that delta, that major change in, in payment, monthly payment. Because your variable, your guys who are in variable and static payment, they're already dealing with that problem. They're already solving that problem. They have to on a monthly basis to make ends meet. You got to solve that problem on the on the fixed side, and and it, as we as you said, fixed is the most common type of mortgage in in the market, right? Yeah, I mean, just a great suggestions, but just to build off what you're saying, I mean, if if you wanted an analogy, I guess a variable rate, you know, you're slowly walking up up the stairs, and you feel the burn with each step as as things get a bit worse. But there's a staircase down on the other side. You just got to get to the top. What happens when a fixed rate comes up for? renewal at the end of the five-year term when you've been paying you know this this very low lovely payment is you don't there's no stairway waiting for you there's you a slingshot a yeah there's a slingshot or a wall or what you're right exactly right so i i think dan's right in saying that you know variable variables hold on for dear life the stress test is actually there to not stress you out to do the opposite even though none of us like tests and especially a test with the name stress and it doesn't sound good these these things like stress tests and trigger rates are actually built in to help us to to protect us from ourselves to a certain extent and and that's where we have our you know financial systems to thank so yeah the last yeah. piece i would add is I, I didn't really give any real advice on how to how to fix that problem right so it's going to be the same advice for people in static variable 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 or fixed payment mortgages or sorry fixed rate mortgages there's only real Everybody wants to make this whole thing sound like a science, right? It's not. Let's break it down to the nuts and bolts. That is, this is an input and output business. You can change two things. You can change your income or you can change your expenses. And the debt piece is the one expense that you you probably don't have a good way to forecast nor to control. So it's either you go back to the drawing board and negotiate a good rate. You talk to a guy like Nick or your mortgage broker that you trust and figure out on on that's just one of the expenses. You can trim down other expenses. You can operate your, your, your buildings better. You can increase the value of your property. You can increase the earning potential of your property through capital expenditure. Those are really like the only two major ways to deal with these disparities that you're starting to see. And and I would start well, I would encourage people to think creatively about how to add value to properties as like a principle in being an investor. But now more than ever, out of desperation, this should be something that this should be, like you should the silver lining in this whole thing is it's going to teach a lot of people how to be resourceful investors. And I like that. And I want to see that happen. So for those of you who are looking at 
a situation that's scary, figure out how to make it not scary. That's your job as an investor. And the answer isn't exit and the answer isn't run away. It's fix the problem because you created it and you created it by not doing things the way that you should have. Maybe you got wrapped up in FOMO. Maybe you didn't analyze. Maybe you didn't risk mitigate. Maybe you didn't think about downside. Now's your chance. Do it right this time. Love it. Great place to stop. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Ambassador is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317 and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.